Hear now our scripture this morning, which comes from our Gospel of Matthew in chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Now when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled, because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I've had a few Christmases gone wrong. Now, nothing Griswold-worthy, of course, but there have been a few that are up there in terms of having some Christmas mishaps. Now, as there was the Christmas of 91, when my sister woke up Christmas morning with a bunch of little red spots all over her. My parents freaked out, knowing that we had both already had the chicken pox, and so got really concerned that we had somehow gotten the chicken pox again. We finally got a hold of our pediatrician, who, bless his little heart, was sweet enough to meet us in the emergency room on Christmas morning. After a few hours of hanging out in the hospital, we learned that, thankfully, it was not a second round of chicken pox, but that it looked like a whole bunch of little insect bites. And do you know what happens when someone else is declared that they have a whole bunch of little insect bites all over their body? Well, you start to freak out, too, that you have a bunch of insect bites all over your body, and the itching naturally begins. When we arrived back home, Dad decided to try to find the source of these bites and journeyed to the most natural culprit, our live Christmas tree. As he pulled back the branches to be able to separate them out a little bit more, little tiny spiders began to emerge from the tree. The screaming began along with the complete stripping down of all of the linens in the house 
the complete deep cleaning of the whole place and the removal of the tree directly to the curb. I do think we took the ornaments off, but it was ditched pretty fast. I'm not even sure that we opened up presents that day, although I'm assuming it must have happened at some point. But what I do remember is the next day, my grandma journeyed with us to the store for the Christmas discounts and we bought a fake Christmas tree on a major sale. The Christmas of 91 was the last time a real tree was a part of my home. So while that Christmas was probably my sister's least favorite Christmas, her most favorite might have been the Christmas of 2009 because I lost my voice. (laughs) It was my first Christmas Eve as a pastor at my church in Winchester, Virginia, and we were expected to have a huge ice storm. So many folks left town early trying to skip out ahead of the storm, and so they left early on Christmas Eve, including my children's choir director, who was to be the narrator for the children's pageant. So Christmas Eve, I narrated the whole Christmas pageant, preached three times, sang in the choir, and had plenty of chatting and all of that in between. I left town right after our midnight worship to get over the mountains to hopefully escape the line of ice, and I landed at a friend of mine's empty house about 2 a.m. Now my phone rang at 9 a.m., and I looked and saw that it was my parents. So I clicked to talk to them and heard them both exclaim, Merry Christmas, Sarah! And I opened up my mouth, and nothing. Nothing came out. I had no voice. Now, it's a little hard to tell people when you're on a cell phone that you have no voice, so I can't remember how I explained it to them. But it was a very weird experience to be voiceless, traveling solo on Christmas Day. I had to point to the menu at the Waffle House for what it was that I wanted. I finally found some pen and paper in my car to ask the rare questions at the gas stations that were open and after nine hours of driving I finally landed at the beach but my voice though would remain silent for three more days so I think my sister loved every minute of that Christmas but just as Joel has been mentioning within our Christmas carol introductions and just as Eva Marie mentioned within her prayer the Christmas time The first Christmas story was not a Christmas story that was often seen as the Hallmark movie that we try to create it to be. Now, it didn't have as much comedy as these stories had, but it did have heartache. It had trauma. It had a refugee family fleeing. It had hurt and pain and death. King Herod, he had not been too keen to hear that the Magi would refer to Jesus as King of the Jews. Now, Herod was not a Jew, but rather appointed to be king by the Romans, and he fought for several years to take control of the kingdom and to secure his authority. So because of this insecurity, he often overcompensated with fear and brute force. He built fortresses all around the region and maintained a private security force so that he wouldn't be too far away from protection. He made sure 
that there was nobody to challenge him to the throne. And so when we, he heard these magi come and tell him, we are here to be able to find the king of the Jews, he was threatened. And when power is threatened, especially from those who are insecure within their power, the fallout is not pretty. Joseph listens to another angel within a dream, and he doesn't question what that angel says. But he knows from experience that the dream is speaking truth. And so the next day, Mary and Joseph hastily stuff all of they can within a bag, holding their crying child. They're exhausted, they are frightened, and they flee. They are refugees fleeing from political oppression. Herod cannot find this king of the Jews, and so the first Christmas fallout continues to ripple into the wider community of Bethlehem as every male child under the age of two is slaughtered. Now that first Christmas did not turn out the way that Hallmark would have written it. Just because Christ was born into the world there was still death. There was still fear. There was still corrupt power. There was still violence and exhausted refugees and a family trying to stay together at all costs. As Alan Culpepper says, there is nothing sentimental about Matthew's Christmas story. It is set in the turbulence and the terror of a violent history. But instead, there is a provident God over all who guides a devout and compassionate, a dreaming and trusting father so that a child will be able to grow to become the savior of his people and of generations to come. Matthew, therefore, calls for all of us to be able to observe Jesus' birth and to renew our hope in that message, that even if there are no apparent reasons to believe in a provident God, that Matthew invites us to see things as they are and to still affirm that God is working, even in the worst of what we can do. Now, Frederick Buechner often invites us into this space of being able to wonder how can we declare this real joy that comes in the Christmas, Christmas season? How can we declare this gift that has come to us, the gift of knowing that God is with us? And he asks us this question, this question that Joel has been asking us this morning about our vocation. And he says, your vocation is where your deepest hunger meets the world's deepest brokenness. Now, Frederick Buechner invites us to be able to find that intersection, that space where we can be a part of the work of Christmas. So how will you be able to declare to the world that Christmas continues and that the work of Christmas is the invitation that we have to share that good news with all that we meet? Thanks be to God. Amen.